0: I want to open with a passage of scripture that is well known, I believe, to all of you this morning. And that's Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 and 6. The passage that written by King Solomon said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's interesting, it doesn't just tell us to trust God doesn't just say to trust the Lord. You know, I, I, I trust my wife, but I wouldn't say I trust her with all my heart. But I trust her. No, that's not a negative statement. I'm not trying to be funny. Um, you know, we trust each other, but often it's to a certain extent. Um, but the Bible tells us to abandon all sense of reservation and trust God with all of our heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own perspective. Don't lean on your own take on things or circumstances or what is happening around you. But trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Put your own understanding and take on on the circumstances of life to the side and lean completely on him. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Why should I do that? Why should I so personally abandon my entire trust? If I was to jump off the roof of the house and Margot said, jump, I'll catch you, I wouldn't trust her. (laughs) So hopefully that clarifies what I said when I opened my message. There are some things I would not trust Margot to do. I would not trust her in the garage. But the Bible is calling me to put my entire trust, to abandon my own self-sufficiency, my own resources, and put my entire trust in the Lord. Why should I trust in the Lord with all of my heart? Well, the reason is simply this. It's because he's the only truly reliable, unshakable, and perfectly integrous thing in the entire universe not just on the planet, but across the entire universe. He's the only truly reliable, unshakable and perfectly integrous thing in the entire universe. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4 says he is the rock. doesn't even just say he's a rock. It says he is the rock and a rock is a solid foundation. A rock is a stable thing. A rock is is something that is firm and fixed and Many architects over the centuries have built structures, mighty structures, on bedrock because they know that it will stand the storms of life. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. There is nothing imperfect about him. Everything he does, everything is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright is he? You know, it's been said that Romans 8.28 is the most memorized and quoted verse in the New Testament. In Romans 8.28, again, many of you or most of you, if not all of you would know that it says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. That's a very encouraging verse. We know that all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything that happens in our life, all things, whether we like them or we don't, they ultimately will work together for our good. We can trust that our faithful and perfect God will cause all things. Right? Many of you know, was in Alice Springs just a couple of weeks ago. My best mate that I grew up through school buried his three year old granddaughter, tragically backed over by a car. And, and uh, you know, how you could stand there and think in your mind, God will cause this to work somehow for good. But He does, He has an incredible ability to take the worst of life circumstances and turn them around or bring something life-giving, something positive, something life-changing. He has an incredible ability to take the worst of the worst and bring something good out of it. And we can trust that our faithful and our perfect God will cause all things to work together for our good. In the middle of the trials, in the middle of the storms, the challenges, the setbacks, the struggles, and the disillusionment that often comes with those experiences in life. This passage, Romans 8.28, that he causes all things to work together for our good, it brings incredible comfort, direction, and hope for Christians every day. But to understand the truth and the power behind Romans 8.28, You can't just quote the part of the verse that you like. He causes all things to work together for good. And so often we're guilty of that. We, we take that part of the passage because it's the encouraging part. It's the, it's the part that affirms that we will get through this. We will overcome this. God will bring us through to the other side. We will survive this storm. We, we will not die, but we shall live. We, we stand on that first part of the verse. God will cause all things to work together for good. And we, we so often can take verses out of context when we don't read the entire passage and read the befores and the afters, and the clarification that the writer often brings to what's stated in Scripture, you've got to read the following bit. Romans 8.28 is a promise for believers. Romans 8.28 is a promise for true believers. It's a promise for sincere, authentic Christ followers, not churchgoers. It's a promise for authentic, followers of Jesus Christ who have taken up their cross and they're following him. Romans 8, 28, the rest of the verse, after it says all things work together for good, it says to those that love him and those who are called according to his purpose. So you've got to keep that in the passage. You know, those that love him and those that are called according to his purpose, those are the people that all the circumstances of life will ultimately work together for our good if we love him. You know, you didn't find Jesus. There's a, there's a statement that is often thrown around by Christians, you know, the day I found Jesus, or I found Jesus on this day, in this year, in this season of my life. You, you didn't find Jesus, he found you. Adam and Eve were not looking for God when they ate of the forbidden fruit, God was looking for them. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you are a sincere follower of Jesus, it's because He has called you to himself. So all things work together for good, to those that love God, those that are the called according to His purpose. If you are a genuine follower of Jesus, and as my mentor and friend Danny Gulammucci says, "In the church today there are Christians and there are churchians. I don't want to be a churchian. Because we can, we can be in church but not be in Christ. We can be in church and be in the social atmosphere and our friends and our connections are all in the church. But if we're not authentically following Jesus, this promise is not for you. Yeah. All things only work together for good to those that love him and are the called according to his purpose. We, we can say that we love God. We can say with our lips that we love God, but it's God who truly determines the level of, of our love for him and by one thing only. In John chapter 14 and verse 15 he said if you love me Is it on the screen? If you love me if you if you truly love me you say you love me but if you truly love me keep my commandments our obedience to him and his word our our submission to him and His word, our allegiance and our loyalty to Him and His values every day of our life, 24 hours of every day, seven days of every week, 52 weeks of every year, our allegiance and our loyalty to Him and His values is the benchmark that measures the authenticity of our love for Him. All things work together for good to those that love Him and are the called according to his purpose. So we can't expect all things to work together for our good if we say we love him on Sunday, honoring him with our lips, but then live and behave and think and carry on like the devil for the rest of the week, which is really revealing that our heart is actually far from him. The Bible says these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. If we love him, we will sincerely follow him. If we love him, we will, we will swallow the hard pills that sometimes following Jesus requires us to follow. Things like forgiveness, when forgiveness is not something that comes easy. You know, somebody said a long time ago, submission isn't submission till you're told no. We say, oh, I'm submitted. While ever those we're submitted to are telling us what we want to hear, but submission really isn't authentic until you're told no and then we see whether you're submitted or not. If we genuinely love him and are genuinely following him, we can absolutely trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and not lean on our own understanding and he will cause all things to work together for our good. Exodus chapter 20 is the passage where God hands down the moral code for life to Moses. It's the 10 commandments, the 10 big ones. And he opens Exodus chapter 20 by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. It's very easy for a Western mindset to read that passage and go, well, that really doesn't affect us in the Western world. I mean, we're not into idols. We're not into gods. We're not into worshipping foreign things. We don't light the incense and bow down and put fruit on the footpath, Uh, you know, to some foreign god. It really doesn't affect us. But did you know that worry, a lack of trust, can actually be a God? Worry can be a God. We can bow our heart and our mind to worry. We can worry about our family. We can worry about our finances. We can worry about our future. Anxiety can be a God. We, we can bend the knee of our heart to anxiety and give in to anxiety rather than trusting in the Lord with all of our heart and not leaning on our own understanding, but acknowledging God in the midst of the turmoil and the storm and the challenge, we can actually bow our knee to anxiety rather than bowing our knee to the Lord. And rather than casting our cares upon God because He cares for us, we abandon our cares to a, an, a, an altar of worry and anxiety and stress and fear, which can also be a God, but if we genuinely love Him and bow our heart and our allegiance to Him and trust Him with with all of our heart, whatever life throws our way, even the tragic loss of a three-year-old granddaughter, whatever life throws our way, He will cause to work together for our ultimate good. You know, God has an amazing track record. If you're a Bible reader, you'll know that. You know, the experiences of God's people over the years has been quite amazing. I, I, I was reading earlier this morning a little bit of the story of Noah, which is Genesis chapter 6 through 9. And when you think about what Noah went through and what Noah had to survive, what Noah had to do in obedience to the voice of God, which, which he would have been just like us, where you feel like God has told you to do something you don't really want to do or it's not something that's all that exciting to do and it's, it's quite a, a challenge when you realize what God's told you to do involves a storm, a very heavy storm, a big storm, a, a valley, a, a flood or what it, whatever it might be. It's not always easy. And when you're under the pump and you're under the pressure, it can be very easy to start questioning, did God really say that? Have I heard correctly from God? Because this is not pleasant, what I'm going through. And as I'm reading the story of Noah, as you get to the end of his life, it says he planted a vineyard and he got drunk. I don't blame him. (laughs) I think this man had post-traumatic stress disorder, far worse than anybody has ever had before or after him. When you think about what that man went through, what that man witnessed, what he faced, I want you to build an ark. The earth was so wicked. God said, I want you to build an ark and I want you to take your family because Noah had found favor in the eyes of the Lord because he was upright and righteous in the eyes of God. And God said, I'm going to destroy not just the city, not just the town, not just the region. I'm going to destroy the entire planet. At that time, Noah had no idea how big the planet was, but he knew there was a lot of people where he lived. So he said, I want you to build a boat. I want you to take a pair of every species of every living thing onto that boat so you preserve life, so you can start again once I've destroyed the earth. And uh, Noah built the ark and then took his family and everybody into the ark. And then he watched an entire civilization scream as they drowned. That would have been traumatic. Years ago, I witnessed a very traumatic event of somebody who was almost fatally injured. Their body was so badly messed up. And I, I watched while they worked on him. It was traumatic. I never talked about it. I just kind of just bottled it up inside, went home, and at night I would relive, see it over and over in my mind. And it was a trauma, but I internalised it and bottled it up. And, and uh, you know, a number of years later, somebody asked me about that event, and I burst into tears. I couldn't understand why that was. It was, it was a traumatic event. But that's mild compared to what Noah would have witnessed what Noah would have seen. And then the flood comes and the people die and he, he witnesses this and he hears their screams as they begging, please open, let me into the boat, save me, but he couldn't out of obedience to God and the flood comes, the waters rise and everything's destroyed. And then for five months, there's silence from heaven. Nothing, five months, he's in a boat with all these animals. You imagine, This was not Royal Caribbean, wasn't princess cruisers this was a filthy smelly ark no deodorant no fly spray no flushing toilet five months five months And in Genesis chapter 7 and verse 24 through to chapter 8 and verse 1, we read the water covered the earth for 150 days. And then we see these two little words that I love so much that you see often in Scripture. The the, the water covered the earth for 150 days, but God. But God remembered Noah and all the animals in the boat. But God came to the moment. God came in the midst of all the pain and all the trauma and all the turmoil. Why? Because Noah hung in there and kept trusting God with all of his heart. He hung in there as the the days went by and the weeks went by and the waters did not seem to subside. There was no appearance of any kind of dry land. The mountaintops were under the water and and it went on week in and week out. For five months, he's on this boat. The seasickness would have been unbearable. But after 150 days, after five months, God, but God, remembered Noah and came through. All things work together for good. Genesis chapter 19, it's the story of Abraham interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord comes to him and and says to his friend, Abraham, because Abraham was known as the friend of God. God said, shall I conceal from Abraham what I'm about to do? And he said to Abraham, he said, "Uh, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham at that point realized, don't put the scripture up yet. I'm not ready for it. Abraham believed and realized at that time that his nephew Lot and his wife was in the city. Abraham said, Lord, what if there were 50 righteous in the city? Would you still destroy it? He was in a The Lord said, if there's 50 righteous, I'll spare the city. Abraham said, what if there's 45? Well, he said, if there's 45, I'll spare the city. Forty? And he keeps coming down. And and the Lord just says to him, if there's 40, if there's 35, if if there's 30, if there's 25, if there's 20. And Abraham brings it all the way down to 10. What if there's 10? Maybe Lot had 10 in his family. You see, it's interesting. Lot was not a wicked man. In fact, 2 Peter tells us that Lot was a righteous man. He was a righteous man and God delivered him. Although he wasn't a wicked man, he was a foolish man. You know, when their crops grew and, and uh, Abraham's livestock and his servants and his wealth expanded and grew, Lot's was growing at the same pace and the area got so small that Abraham said, let's not allow this to bring conflict between us. Let's not allow this to drive a wedge. We're family, we're, we're relatives. He said, Lot, I want you to lift up your eyes. I want you to look all around. He said, if you go left, I'll go right. He said, if you go left, I'll go right he said, if you go right, I'll go left. So whatever you want, Lot, I'm giving you the choice. That's a big man to do that. But you see, I believe Abraham was trusting the Lord with all of his heart. God already had a promise from Abraham that, you know, you lift up your eyes, Abraham, everything you see, I'm going to give it to you. So I think deep down, Abraham already trusted, no matter what I give to Lot, I'm going to get it anyway. And when you follow the story, it's really interesting because Lot was a foolish man, but not a wicked man. And as a foolish man, Lot got his eyes on the lot, took the lot and lost the lot. (laughs) And he lost the lot and ended up in Sodom. And Abraham is still really moved by this connection with his family. He says, God, he said, you know, if, if there's righteous people down there, please don't destroy the city. And in Genesis chapter 19, verse 28 and 29, Abraham looked out to Sodom and Gomorrah and saw columns of smoke. But God, but God had listened to Abraham's request and kept Lot safe from the disaster. God does what we can't do. All we have to do is trust him with all of our heart and don't lean on our own understanding. And he will get us through if we acknowledge him in all of our ways. He will direct our paths. He will guide our steps. He will will cause us to walk to the places we need to go. And no matter what's exploding around us, we will get to where we need to go. The fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, James tells us. Abraham prayed and God listened and God destroyed the city, but God remembered the prayer of Abraham. I love that, but God. Genesis 48, Jacob is about to die. Jacob is about to give up the ghost. He's the last of the three great patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the promise that Abraham got went down to Isaac, went down to Jacob. Jacob then has 12 sons. And Jacob is the last of those patriarchs. And he sits with Joseph and says, Joseph, I am about to die. But then he says, but God. But God, he says, will bring you to the land of Canaan, to the land of your ancestors. When our horizontal security is removed, God is still on the throne. And for Joseph and his brothers, Jacob was a horizontal security. He was a stabilizing factor in their life. He was a great man of God who, who knew his God and walked with his God. And, and he was about to go. And I can imagine the brothers thinking, who's going to lead us? Who will direct us? Who will guide us? Because Jacob, you're, you've done it so far when our horizontal security is threatened, but God is still on the throne yes. if we trust him with all of our heart if we love him with with, with all that we have and, and demonstrating that love by following his commandments and his, being obedient to his word, he, he will call us to himself and carry us through and cause all things to work together for good. As the children of Israel left Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land, they'd been in the wilderness for for many, many years and they're almost ready to take The land and the surrounding nations are threatened. And Balak, the king of Moab, uh, is, uh, is just so threatened. He goes to Balaam. And Balaam was known as a prophet who carried some kind of spiritual power. I don't believe it was a godly power. It was probably a demonic power. But he had some connection with God because he heard the voice of God. Balak went to Balaam and said, I want you to curse the children of Israel. And he was offered money for it. And And uh, he said, well, I'll inquire of the Lord. So there was some kind of connection there, but he was a man who was quite shallow in that. He inquires of the Lord and the Lord said, you will not curse them. You will not curse them. And in in Deuteronomy 23 verse four, the Moabite king tried to hire Balaam son of Beor from Pethor in Aram Nahariam. How would you like to live there? What's your address, sir? You know, I'm from Beor, Pethor, Aram Nahariam. He tried to get Balaam to curse, but God would not listen. God would not listen to Balaam. He turned the intended curse into a blessing because the Lord your God loves you, is what the passage says. You know, no, because the Lord your God loves you. When, uh, when uh, he loves you, he protects you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Doesn't matter how big those guns are, doesn't matter how big those ballistic missiles are, those demonic entities that that are trying to knock the legs out from under you. When God loves you, He protects you. Yes. And He will turn curses into blessing. Yes. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. When Ezra's trying to rebuild the temple, you know, he's called of God to rebuild the temple. Being called of God doesn't mean the road's gonna be easy. Being called of God just puts a big target in the middle of your chest. Believe me, I know that. But being called of God also puts a huge great shield in front of your chest. Yeah, that's right. Amen. But Ezra's called to rebuild the temple and he gets there. He's excited. When you get called, the first call, it's like you can take on the world. When I felt the call of God in my life, I was ready to go right there and then. But it was years later before anything even happened. And Ezra's excited and he gets gets back to Jerusalem and he he starts the work. But the surrounding nations, the enemies of God's people, the enemy of our soul begins to rise up. And in Ezra 5.5, we read Tatanai, governor of the province, and his colleagues soon arrived in Jerusalem and challenged the right of the Jews to rebuild the temple. But God... I love love this. Look at that. Look, look, where is it? He challenged the right, prevented them from building. Where's the but God, Ben? Come on, move it along. Five, five. Because their God was watching over them, the leaders of the Jews were not prevented from building. No, go back a verse. Go back a verse. Four, four. Have you got four there? You haven't got four. I've given you the wrong verse. (laughs) Soon arrived, they challenged. But God was watching over them. And as a result, they were not prevented from building the temple. Maybe that's a different translation. But God. God before us, who can be against us? When God opens a door, no man can shut it. Yes. That's right. And when God closes one, no man can open it. It's, it's, that's why it's so important we walk with God. Yeah. So important that our daily life is not about being involved in the church and everything the church does. It's about being involved in the church that he's building and building it according to his word. Yeah. Following Jesus with all of our hearts. Psalm 64, David. David is surrounded by enemies. They're intimidating him, they're plotting evil against him, they're attacking him, they're, they're, they're serving stuff on him that just made life so hard. But then in uh, verse six, we read, as they plot their crimes, they say, we have devised a perfect plan, but God yes. himself will shoot them down. You know, I, I truly believe that one of the most insecure foundations that we can build our personal security on Or our sense of value and worth and our significance in life is the job or the career that you have or the position or title that you hold. Because believe me, the enemy can take both of those things. You've only got to read the book of Job to see he can do that. The enemy can touch your security. He can touch your, your job, your career, your position, your title. But what he can't threaten is the endless supply of God's provision. What he can't threaten is the love of God towards you, which he can never separate you from. What can separate me from the love of God? Height, depth. You, you know the passage. You know, what he cannot threaten is my status as a child of God my status as a joint heir with Jesus. He cannot uh, threaten the Lord who is my strength and my shield. He cannot threaten the calling of God upon my life. That for which Jesus laid a hold of me. Paul said, I press on to lay a hold of that for which Jesus laid a hold of me. Jesus found you and he laid a hold of you for a purpose. And our responsibility is to lay hold of that purpose. I press on, he said, I lay a hold of that for which he laid a hold of me. I'm saved from sin for that purpose. And I press on to do that. There are some battles in life that only God can fight for us. All that's required of us is the fight of prayer and faith. Acts chapter 12 talks about King Herod Agrippa rising with an incredible thrust of persecution against the church. He has James arrested and put to death with the sword, publicly executed. And soon after, he finds the apostle Peter and arrests him. But the Bible tells us that it was the beginning of Passover and Herod Agrippa did not want to offend the Jews by executing someone during Passover. So they put him in jail and he was told the, uh, the prison guards to guard him at all costs until after the Passover. And then he was going to come out and face the same fate as James, put to death by the sword. Why did James die and Peter didn't? We don't know. Why do some get healed and some don't? There's no explanation for that in Scripture. But he puts Peter in prison, tells the guards, you watch him till after the Passover. And then we read this interesting thing. It doesn't actually say the words, but God, but you could put it in there. But God knew where Peter was. And he goes to the prison An angel of the Lord goes to the prison, walks straight through the bars, kicks Peter in the side and says, wake up. Peter thought he was dreaming. He said, stand up. And when he stood up, the chains fell off. And then he walked Peter out through the prison doors, which opened automatically in front of him. Walked out and at the same time, there was a group of Christians praying for him because they knew he'd been arrested. They knew he was going to die in a few days. And they're praying for him and Peter is led to the house where the prayer meeting's held and he knocks on the door. And one of the ladies is so fervently praying for Peter's deliverance, opens the door and there's Peter. She can't believe it. So she shuts the door in Peter's face and goes back <laughs> into the prayer meeting. It's what happens. You read it, Acts chapter 12. She just closes the door in his face and it says, left Peter standing there. She goes in and says, Peter's at the door. And they said, you've lost your marbles. Talk about a faith-filled prayer meeting. We're praying for Peter to get delivered And he's standing at the door. No, it can't be. You know, God, you can do anything. Set him free. No, that can't be him. You know, it's like. And then someone else goes to the door because it says Peter kept knocking. And they they let him in. Well, the next morning the guards wake up, Peter's gone. And they didn't need laxatives that morning. King Herod Agrippa is furious. So so furious, he arrests the guards and has them put to death and sent out a search party for Peter, but they couldn't find him. Why? Because God was involved. God was in the process. God was in the equation. And they couldn't find him. And then it says in the very next verse, King Herod Agrippa went down and stayed, uh, I can't remember the name of the town, but somewhere down south and he stayed there and, and uh, he began to promote himself as a God and people began to worship him as a God and God in- afflicted him with a disease and worms ate him. You know, the enemy can threaten you, but if God's in your life, if God's walking with you, If you're loving him with all your heart and trusting in him with all your heart and not leaning on your own understanding, he will cause all things to work together for your good. You can be in jail thinking you're going to lose your head tomorrow, but in the middle of that, God can break you out of that place. God can, he can do amazing things at the darkest of times in our life. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, in the context of talking about Job, I know, sorry, Lot, who it says there was a righteous man. He says, so you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials. This is a fascinating promise. The Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. That's what happened to King Herod. King Herod thought he was in control. He thought he was was overseeing the church and he was going to take the church out. He was going to finish the church off. He thought he had all power, all glory, all honor, all everything that belongs to God himself. He thought he had it all and he was going to ruin the church, but God, but God had a different plan. And Herod came to a bad end, but the church continued on. You know, the Bible tells us in Psalm 34, many are the afflictions of the righteous, But God delivers them out of them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions of those who are authentic followers of Jesus. You will face trial. You in this world will have trouble. You will face attacks. You will have times of discouragement, times of darkness, times of a lack of clarity where you just won't know what to do next. But we need to just keep moving forward, trusting that as we're trusting him with all of our heart and not leaning on our own understanding, he will direct our paths. What is it you're struggling with right now? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What is it you're questioning? Are you bowing your knee to anxiety? Are you bowing your knee to fear? Are you bowing your your knee to worry? Are you you concerned about many things? Are you like Martha and and you're, you're frantically running around trying to look after yourself? No, trust in the Lord with all your heart like Mary and sit at his feet and allow him to pour life and hope and purpose and know that he will direct your paths and bring you through the valley of the shadow of death. He will bring you out the other side. If we trust him with all of our heart, he will cause all things to work together for good if we love him and we are called according to his purpose he will get you through he will get you through many are the afflictions of the righteous but God delivers us out of them all let's pray father this morning I I pray that revival would hit every heart in this place a revival of our first love, a revival of our, our passion to follow you and serve you, a revival of our passion to, to pursue the call of God upon our life, no matter what that looks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter what it brings across our path. I pray, Lord, that we will stand strong because we're standing on the rock, our, our God whose word is perfect and whose all his ways are just. I pray, Lord, for a revelation of your goodness. I pray, Lord, for a revival of the fire of love and passion towards you that would cause us to rise up and say, I'm going to you know, turn my back on the world. It will be behind me as the cross is before me. And I will pursue you with all of my heart. I will love you with all of my strength, all of my mind. I will put my focus upon Jesus and the call that he's placed upon my life so that all things in life will work together for the ultimate fulfilling of the call and purpose that you've destined for me. Lord, we're reminded of those who have lost their life for the gospel and we're reminded of every time someone died for their faith, it was the seed of growth that caused the church to explode. It's such a foreign thing. One would think that that it would cause fear and trepidation and cause a, a cowering back from the purpose they're called to, but it actually caused the church to rise because you cause all things to work together for good. But whatever everyone's facing here today, I pray, Lord, that your hand of revelation and insight and understanding would come upon them. I pray, Lord, that those words, but God, would echo in our minds. I'm going through a tough time, but God is with me. I'm facing a challenge, but God is with me. I'm going through grief and loss and pain and, and it hurts and I'm struggling. But God is my comfort. God is my strength. God is my shield. God is my friend. I, I, Lord, I'm, I'm going through a season of uncertainty. I, I'm concerned about my finances. But God will supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has the earth and the fullness thereof. But God, you are with us. But God, you will never forsake us. But God, you're our glory and the lifter of our head. I pray, Lord, that we would all be far more sensitive to your presence, to your hand upon our life, and to your goodness toward us, so that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to your purpose.